All right, good evening, everyone. Uh, praise God. One thing that I did want to, rem Susie, remind me of and is that we do have a business meeting on Saturday at 1 o'clock, yes? 11 o'clock. See? Yeah, I need you. I need you guys. <laughs> praise God. <laughs> All right, let's open up our Bibles to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, that we can come and uh, glean from your field in your word, Lord. We ask that, God, you'd take us now and lead us and guide us. Teach us. Give us a, a heart to understand, Lord, that we'd have ears to hear. And that, Lord, we'd be able to respond to what you speak to us, Lord. Lord, I pray for that, that message again in the message, Lord, for each heart. Lord, there's something here that you want to speak, and I pray that it would come out. And that you would touch that heart, Lord. Encourage. We ask for the move of your spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, where we're going here in uh, Nehemiah has a precursor to the, the whole events that take place here. And they're found in Leviticus chapter 25. And now I didn't give this to Mike to put up. So we, if you got your Bibles, you should have your Bibles. Open them up to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to be in Nehemiah, don't worry. But uh, Leviticus chapter 25 and at verse 2, Moses is there. He's on the mountain and the Lord's speaking. And he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep the Sabbath to the Lord six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of sol solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyards. What harvest you shall grow, what you shall, excuse me, let me back up. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your Un, unattended vines for it is a year of rest for the land so therefore on the seventh year they were to take the land don't do anything but what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to deal with this well we go up to verse 20 because we're looking at a time well how are we going to how are we going to eat well here's what the lord's answer and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since you shall not, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years, a bumper crop. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in and you shall eat of the old harvest. So the Lord's got a plan. He's got a plan on how to take care of his plan of the seventh and the, the Sabbath rest for the land. And this is really our backdrop here for for Nehemiah, because what's happened is that for 490 years, Israel did not obey the command of the Lord for 490 years, which is 70 uh, years or 70 uh, weeks that Daniel will get into. But for 490 years. So we find out here that there's 70 years that have been determined for judgment on Israel. And they're to be taken. And it isn't just that, as you read in there, it isn't just that they didn't give the land rest. But they were falling into idolatry. 
They were falling into all kinds of pagan uh, rituals. And what it was doing, it was corrupting the land. Well, the corruption within affected their obedience to God and obedience to God. And God, they had a lackadaisical atti- attitude. And like Paul says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So the backdrop here for Nehemiah also you can find uh, as extra reading for part of uh, your understanding is the book of Ezra. There's 10 chapters in there and Ezra really fills in a lot of the details and I would uh, encourage you to read Ezra. Also here we're going to find that their key players in this story are King Darius, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar and Arxerxes. So you're going to have a whole bunch of kings that are involved here. Prophets that are during and at the end of the captivity. You have Jeremiah, you have Daniel, you have Haggai, and you have Zechariah. Now remember, Jerusalem is destroyed. It's, that's what we're going to talk about. That's where we're going to go. It's been destroyed. Um, how many of you have been to Israel? Okay. Do you remember going up to the southern steps, the steps where Jesus taught? They're at the other side of the end of the wall. And then you're also out in front of the eastern gate. When you look at the eastern gate, there's stones there that are as long as these uh, rows of chairs. And about six to, some of them are six feet high. And they are about, I don't know how deep, but they're deep and they're big. We went into the rabbi's tunnel and there was one stone in there that was 40 feet long. Okay, now these stones, as... They came and when Nebuchadnezzar and his men came and his army came, they upheaved everything. They pried apart everything. And then later on in uh, uh, AD 70 when Titus came, they did the same thing. And they went in after the gold. And what they did, they set fire. And as they set fire, the gold melted and they pried apart the stones. So not one stone, remember that, what Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon another. What it was and the reason was because there was gold in between the joints and the stone. And so as you come in and you look at the eastern gate and you see this, you see this huge uh, bunch of pile out in front. Plus there's a, the, the Muslims have made, put a graveyard out in front because, you know, it's the Jews can't go across the grave. So uh, they're, they're, they're trying to, but you know what? There's a resurrection that's going to take place. The opening of the gate, we have a God of miracles, so there's no worries there. Now, another prophet here it, before the captivity is Isaiah. So we have all of this here before us. But the book uh, of Nehemiah is really in a sense that it is a study about uh, uh, Satan's object, object, objective. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what, that's what happens here. But God has a counter plan to that, doesn't he? And so we look at this. Judah has experienced this very thing. They've been robbed. They've been killed. They've been destroyed. And their, their home has been up, upended. Now, all of this happened way beforehand when uh, emissaries from Babylon came down. You know the story in 2 Kings 20 and in Isaiah 39. These emissaries from Babylon, they came down and they said, hey, and Hezekiah goes, hey, you want to see all the goodies we got? And he came in and he showed him all the treasures and all the riches and all the wealth. And these Babylonian emissaries, they go, wow, you guys really got it together. So what happens? He goes back to Babylon. And he conveys this. Well, it wasn't too long after that in 605 B.C. 
Nebuchadnezzar comes with his army and he begins to besiege and destroy and take captive those in Judah. And then 18, ye la- 18 years later, in 587 B.C., he comes down with another contingency and they tear down the wall and the temple and all of these things, you know. And then they come 70 years later, Jeremiah has a prophecy after all these captivities have been taking place that there would be a prophecy of a return and fulfillment would take place. And so they come back under, under Jeremiah's prophecy and they come back under the, the uh, leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra and, uh, and Zerubbabel and a bunch of these other guys. And they come back to rebuild and restore the temple and the walls. Okay, that's where we're going to get to in Nehemiah, the, the reconstruction of a lot of this. Uh, in 530, 535 B.C., Zerubbabel, he led the first uh, wave, I guess you would say, of the captives to come back in, along with Haggai and Zechariah. And these two guys, these two prophets came along uh, as encouragers to the people because the marauders were coming in and they were attacking the people. And so Zechariah, you know, the, the, the verse, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. This mountain shall be removed. And what he was speaking of is the mountain of rubble that was there. It wasn't by all your efforts. It's going to be by the work and the, the move of the Holy Spirit and the power of the people there. And so here in the book of Nehemiah, we see uh, a third contingency coming in. And they're coming back under the leadership of of, of, of Nehemiah to finish the work and to come in there and, and rebuild the temple and the wall there in Jerusalem. The person of Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes I. Artaxerxes is believed that um, his stepmother was Queen Esther. And it, it's believed by, uh, by uh, scholars and theologians that she is the one who influenced him to be the cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer, if you understand the stories of these cupbearers, what they are is they're, they're food tasters. They're, they're making sure that the king doesn't ingest any poison or be assassinated. And so their life is on the line whenever they sit back and the king goes, okay, try this out. He tries it out. It's good, king. Okay, so here he is. But, you know, this, is a, this was a royal appointment. He was put in this position and he was a part of the royal court. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. And it's pretty uh, amazing that this guy, he was, a selfless, he was a selfless leader. He was willing to sit back and step out of the comforts of there of, of, uh, of the royal courts and to go down and come up against the enemy. Okay, Does sound familiar about someone we know? Yeah, isn't that, that's a picture of Jesus. He is a type of Christ. Nehemiah is a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ in the respect that he went down to where uh, the people were. There, there was destruction. He humbled himself, came off like Jesus stepping out of heaven. He stepped out of the royal courts. Jesus stepped out of the royal courts to come down and rescue us. But like in the same way with Jesus, you know, not everybody comes. Not everybody When they hear the gospel, you know, the sower of the seeds, not everybody responds. And the same way with with Nehemiah. As Nehemiah was there, only 60,000 people came back. The rest of them chose, and we're talking uh, Israel there, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. They were comfortable in the state of sin. 
really. It's a picture of sin and being comfortable in it. And so they became comfortable in it. But for us, and like them that did go, Jesus, when he touched your heart, touched my heart, a rebuilding took place, a renewing of my mind. There is a place that we come that God speaks, and when he speaks, we say, yes, Lord. You know, there's no place better than to hear the voice of God saying, come with me. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Can you imagine Matthew, how he felt? Here's a tax collector. He was the scourge, basically, of the Jews. He, he, he played favorites in the respect of, so for his selfish gain. He manipulated the, the Jews to get as much money from them as he could. And then Jesus comes to him and calls him. He says, come follow me. And he drops everything. He drops his wealth. He drops his riches. He drops his future. He drops everything. And that was every one of the, the apostles. They all did that. Well, the Holy Spirit has come to renew what sin had destroyed. And that's the story for us. But it's also the story here with, uh, with Nehemiah. So basically, we pick up with Nehemiah here in verse 1. Uh, Nehemiah picks up where Ezra leaves off. And here we're going to find in, the, in basically the, the second verse, we're going to see for some reason, Nehemiah's brother, one of his brothers, had gone down to uh, Jerusalem. And he's returned now with a report here to Nehemiah. And he tells him of the devastation that's taken place. And so he says here, In the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hilkiah, it came to pass in the month of Chesklev, in the... I'm going to... Say, somebody help me. No, I know the 20th, but the pronouncing it is just, it's his, I, I want to get it right, his live, you know. You got to back like that. His live. In the 20th year, as it was in Shusan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the survivors who left from captivity in the province are there in distress and, the, and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Ezra's book, it closes around 457 B.C. Nehemiah, he opens around 450, uh, 446 B.C. In the month of Kislev is the month of December. So we just came out of Kislev. But Nehemiah, he's a man who had learned what the meaning of submission was all about. He learned what it was all about as he was there before Artaxerxes. And he had an attitude of not about himself, but before the king. And his attitude was one of protection. He was watching out for the king. He was making sure that the king's life would not be in jeopardy. He was there every day watching out and watching for the safety of the, of the king. So he was a loyal guy. He was a submissive guy. And he was loyal to the country. He was loyal to God first above everything. But he, that even went deeper in the respect that after hearing about the afflictions and the struggles that were going on in Jerusalem from his brother, 
It broke his heart. You know, a, a broken heart is something that uh, unless you go through it, you, you can't understand it. But a broken heart is some place, is the place where God begins to minister in a deep way. A broken and a contrite heart, the Lord says, he will no wise turn away. I'm, he, he promises in this place of brokenness that he can speak to us. There's something beautiful and wonderful but painful that takes place in brokenness. So after hearing about those that were in Jerusalem, how, how they were struggling and his heart broke and he heard of the destruction and how the people were being attacked and, and demoralized by these band of robbers that were going in and just attacking him. They had no defenses. The walls were down. It was a defenseless city. And so he begins to weep and mourn and just basically fasting for many days. And you know, the, the, the concept of fasting in respect to uh, entreating God and coming before, really begins here during this Babylonian period. And so he uh, and Ezra and Daniel and, and everything, th- these were the men who were praying, they were fasting, and he's, he's weeping over what was taking place. And I, th- I, I can't help but think about all that we have just gone through, the weeping and the brokenness and the hurt, and, and it just, it, it hurts. But also there's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that's taking place of healing and to bring us through. He was weeping over the assassination of Gedaliah. He was weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's, and it's recorded how he and Daniel and Ezra and many of the other prophets also fasted and prayed. Uh, basically, they, as they were fasting, what they were doing is they were trying to afflict their soul to where they could identify with the pain, you know. And what they were doing is so that they were fasting and praying so that they could, their flesh could get out of the way. A lot of times people fast for the wrong reason. And the reason why he fasted was so that he could get a better ear from God. That he could hear God and that God would hear him. Fasting is something that uh, you and, and I hopefully you've all practiced fasting. It's been a while since I've fasted, <laughs> but I plan on fasting some more because I want to hear what God has to say. So I encourage you. So here's the record of his prayer. He said, and I said, I pray, Lord, this is the word is all caps is Yahweh. That's his name. God, Elohim. Elohim is the plurality, singular plurality of God. In other words, this is, this, this is the triune evidence there. So I prayed to Yahweh Elohim of heaven. And oh, great and awesome God. I, I want you to look at the structure of this prayer, okay? The structure of this prayer is really a, a, a model. And I'm going to get into that in a second, but it's a model. Oh, God of heaven. Oh, great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. And that, in, remember, he's been fasting now, okay? 
And he's, he's, his heart's breaking. And he's in this broken place. And he says, oh, Lord, your ear attentive, your eyes see and open that you can hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you. There's emotion here. It isn't just black and white here. There's emotion here of brokenness that's coming out in this prayer. You may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for your children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Wow. What an opening. You know, the opening of an address to a letter can set the mood for the rest of the letter. You can start out on a letter. Emails, that's why emails and text messages, I have a problem with them. <laughs> because a lot of times people are misunderstood when you send them a text. It's not, wait a minute, what are you talking about? <laughs> or, a, or, or you come and get this letter and you go, what in the world? See, the problem is that we don't take time and we need to take time about the opening and the address of our letter. Here is Nehemiah. I pray, oh, Yahweh Elohim of heaven. You know, he's coming and he's breaking down. He's humbling himself and he's taking time in his opening of his address to God. Basically, God, I, I know you can hear me. Uh, God, I know that you know where, where my heart is. And I think that's, that's what is so important that we know that God knows what's in our heart. He knows what you're going to pray even before you pray it. He knows what's going to come out of your mouth because he searches the heart. And he tries our ways. And I think it would be, it's, it's, it's great that he did, because if he didn't, there'd be a lot of misunderstandings, right? So he prays to the Lord, oh, hear me, you know, be attentive. Your ear and your eyes. Prayer is basically a spiritual letter to God. That's just your letter. How are you addressing your letter? You know, the, the first part of, of your prayer is probably the most important part of the prayer. The first time you pray, what are you saying? Who are you talking to? Where does he live? What does he do? And we hear this from Jesus on the, 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 the model of prayer. You all know it with me. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, he's matching right up here. Nehemiah's he's right there. With him, O Lord of heaven, our Father in heaven, oh, how hallowed be your name. He's acknowledging God where he is. Your kingdom come. Where's God? Oh, mighty, awesome God, you who keep covenants and mercy. He's bringing them together. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Nehemiah is praying this prayer, and, and it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's praying this, and he's coming with this Entreaty before God. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus says. And forgive us our debts and as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice his address. God of heaven. God of heaven. Sometimes we get we take God for granted and for who he is and he becomes the jack-in-the-box in the sky. Oh, Lord, I need a hamburger today. 
wait a minute, who is he? Who are you talking about? Who are you talking to? Remember who he is. Remember he's a covenant-keeping God. In other words, he loves contracts. That's what a covenant is. It's a contract. He's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. Uh, Psalm 138, verse 2. He honors his word above his own name. He's a covenant-keeping God. And when we pray, we need to be careful in how we pray and what we pray. Pray as if you understand that God is right there in your presence. Because he is. If you humble yourself and you seek him and you pray, you'll be built up. He'll strengthen you. Bring God's promises into your prayers. Bring God's promises into your prayers. That's what exactly what Nehemiah is doing. And forgive us our debts and forgive as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Bring the will and the contracts of God before him. And it's not that God needs to be reminded about the contracts or the covenants. We're the ones who need to know it. We're the ones that need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of the covenant that I have between myself and God. Otherwise, I will falter and fail. I'll fall to myself and I'll fall to the world. Because if I don't go back and remember what he has given to me, I'm destined to fail. And so any one of us are. We all are. Take heed lest you stand, lest you fall. Nehemiah is saying, God, please, you're able to hear us. You're able to see us. God, you're able. But there was something wrong because he says in the last portion of verse 6, both my father's house and I have what? What? Sinned. We've sinned. Isaiah 59 verse 2. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He won't hear. The problem isn't from God's side. It's the problem is from our side. If there's sin in our lives, if there's sin in the camp, if it's, a- if it's the sin of Achan, that then there's going to be judgment until you deal with it. Until you deal with it, there isn't going to be action from God. He's not going to hear and he's not going to respond. But once you do, then the whole things can change. Whole life can change. So Nehemiah, he begins interceding on behalf of the people and confessing the the sins of the people. But he also, I, I love what he does here. And Daniel does it too in his book. We. The biggest thing that a lot of people people do when they talk about sin, they'll say, you, you. No, 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 no. It's we. He is without sin cast the first stone. It's we. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none who does good. There's no not one. There's no unrighteous. No, not one. So it has to be we. We have sinned before you, God. Oh, God, forgive us and entreat for us, Lord God. And so he takes responsibility for the people and himself as a whole and says, we have sinned. So when we come to God with our address, there's two major factors that we need to take uh, and have in place. Acknowledge God's faithfulness. You're a wonderful, awesome, holy God. Worship begins at the beginning of a prayer. Worship begins at the beginning of the prayer. 
And so as we come and we worship and, and re- just saying, Lord God, I know, you, you know, we're in a place of need right now. And I know that, Lord God, you'll supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. And Lord, you own that cattle on. I mean, that's how we pray. That's how we should be praying. Bringing the word of God into our prayer, reminding ourselves well, who, who we're dealing with. We have a wonderful, powerful, mighty God. He's able to do all things and above all things, exceedingly above anything we could ever think or imagine. That's our God. That's who He is. So we need to address the issue of sin because it's the thing that separates us from Him. It's the thing that hinders us. You know, it's that that place where, you know, know, I've had people say to me, you know, well, I really don't hear the Lord. I just, I go, well, you know what? Uh, Something in your life, maybe something's in the way. Can you check your heart? Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine your heart to see if you're in the way, lest you be disqualified. Check your heart out. Check it out. And you know what's good? Is have a brother and sister to sit back and say, are you okay, man? What's going on? Check your heart. Go check your heart. I've got to confess my sin. I've got to repent. I've got to turn. And I got to take the trash out. Got to take the trash out. Ask for forgiveness. If we submit ourselves to God, the devil will flee from us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. As John says, he'll forgive us of all of our sins and do what? Cleanse us from just a few of unrighteousness. A few little things. What's that word? There's an important word that there is there. There you go. You guys know Greek. <laughs> All is all. All is all. Take the trash out. Don't let your heart look at it. Don't let your heart long for it. Take it out. The Lord tells us, Come out from among them, be ye separate, says the Lord, and I will receive you. There's a place where we have to go this far and no more. You know, the Lord said that to the waters. He says, You may come. This far and no more. You might have seen it there in uh, the Lord of the Rings. You know, he says, this far you no more. You shall not pass. You guys, uh, you guys didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the that's what we do. Settle it in your mind. Be the Joseph. Settle it in your mind. This far and no more. It shall not pass. It shall not be a part. It shall not settle it in. Be resolute. You know what that means, right? You ain't going to let it happen. Resolute is being a part of commitment to uh, that prayer of God. If it's trash, leave it there. It's trash for a good reason. It's to be thrown out. You go out and start digging around in the garbage can, (laughs) you can pick up some nasty stuff that can make you really sick. But you know, I, I'm I want to just share with you tonight as I close here. We've got a few minutes in the respect as we are going, but you know what? I don't want this to be the status quo Wednesday night. I don't want it to be the same old, same old. I've been praying about this. I've really been praying that there would be an afterglow in the fellowship, that there would be a move of God's Spirit, that we could hear what the Spirit of God wants to speak. And I want to share with you as we as we get ready, prepare your hearts, get ready, because uh, I've got some things that 
I think that the Lord wants to do here with us. He says to the Corinthians in chapter 12, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the purpose of the gifts are to, he says to us here, he says, let's see, uh, going on. I, I stopped too soon. Prophet of all, for one is given the word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. You know, know your gifts. I'm going to tell you, know your gifts. Know your spiritual gifts. Because they're for the building up and the edification of the saints. Okay, if you have a word of wisdom and the Lord speaks to your heart, that's good. A word of knowledge, something that, you know what a word of knowledge is? Does it, do you all know what a word of knowledge is? It's knowing something that no one else really can see, but God is showing. It's a word of knowledge through the, uh, through the same spirit, a word of faith by the same spirit. A word of faith is basically somebody struggling and, they, and the Lord speaks to your heart and, and says to you. And this is important because what it does is there's a move of the spirit that the Holy Spirit is saying something to you that it's for this guy over here. Don't worry, have, have no fear. I'm walking with you. You're my, I am your strength. Those kind of words. The Lord says, you'll hear a word in your ear. This is the way walking in it. There's another way is take a step in it and say it. To another, the gift of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all and all distributing to each one individually as he wills. So, what I would like us to do tonight, after hearing the, the, the word from Nehemiah, uh, and if you could lower the lights a little here, that would be great. You know, in, in a lot of churches, the front portion is an altar. It's considered an altar, and I'm thankful God that we have this area here and I just want to give an invitation to you you know first of all deal with whatever you're dealing with because you know what you can go and you 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 haven't settled the issue in your heart before you go before God and he's not going to hear you and so this is I want to give an invitation not just for reading scripture or whatever or, or, or I want to give an invitation for that. I'm not discounting the prayer time. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm also opening up an avenue for us to be able to allow the move of the Holy Spirit. If he moves on your heart and you've been gifting with one of these with a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, any of that, then uh, as Paul, he goes on and he says in, in chapter 14, he says, how is it that, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm. Okay, we sang, that's a psalm. Has a teaching, has a tongue, has a re- uh, revelation, has an interpretation. Let, let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let him be two or at the most three in each turn and let them one interpret. But if no one interprets, let him keep silent. So if somebody speaks in tongue, and you don't have, have a, a, a word for that, don't worry about it. Just let it go. The, what was happening with the Corinthian churches, they were abusing these things. 
They were doing it as an entertainment. They were doing it in a way that it wasn't for the sake of the ministry to the needs of the body. They were doing it for self-exaltation. So we're not here for that. I'm not here for that. I'm here for the, the, the building up of each other and building up of the saints. Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. And this is where the leadership comes in. If something comes heretic off of somebody's lips, go, wait, 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 wait a minute, buddy. Okay? And so the rest of it you can read on your own. But tonight I would like to take a special time and uh, let's bow our heads and just wait on the Lord. If you're here and you, uh, you need to come and bow before the Lord, and, and this is your altar. This is your altar here. You can have your prayer closet at home. But right here, this is your prayer cloth, your, your, your altar before the Lord. So please, just feel free. Father, we thank you that you have given us an open invitation. Jesus, you said to us, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Lord, you've called in, in inviting us to come and bow before you, Lord. There's things that we've been dealing with. And so, Lord, we ask that, God, that you would move here, but also move in the spirit for the sake of edifying the rest of us, Lord. We ask that you would uh, have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your invitation. We thank you for the invitation to enter into your rest, Lord, and to cease from our labors, to cease from ours, and let go. I pray for the rest of your work, Lord, to rest upon your kids here tonight, Lord. I pray for that the peace of God would come and manifest in a spiritual way, Lord. There's a hunger and thirst in this room, Lord, for the move and refilling and refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for that right now, Lord. I pray for that every time we meet, Lord, that we would have a refreshment and a reviving of our hearts. Lord, the church is talking about revival. We don't need revival. We need refreshment. Lord, and then the life will come. The lachayim will come. Lord, when we are revived and refreshed, Lord, then that's when things and the sheep begin to beget sheep and life begins to flow. And I pray for that life-giving flow out of our innermost being. I pray for that, Lord. I pray for that in this place and in my family here, in the people of God, that out of their innermost being in those moments will flow the rivers of living water, that, Lord, when they speak, it'll be the words of life and light and hope and love and comfort and strength, Lord. Take us now, Lord God, and go with us, Lord, as we go. And we pray for the peace of God now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and get used to it. We're going to do it. (laughs) Let's all stand. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. 
and be gracious unto thee, and be gracious unto thee, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. Let the shalom of God rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You need prayer for healing. We'll be here ready to pray for you. We have the anointing oil right up here. We're ready. So if not, Lord bless you and keep you until we can be together again. God bless. Shalom.